Father, we thank you tonight for the name that's above every other name, the name of Jesus. And as we've come together, we thank you that through that name, we have victory in every area of our life. Father, we thank you that it's not what we do, but it's what you've done. It's given us the victory. So we thank you for that. We ask you to bless this time together tonight. We pray that everything that's said and done will bring you glory and honor. Father, we pray that you'll minister to each of our hearts, that we might grow in wisdom and understanding of your word, that we might take it and apply it in our lives, that we'd experience the abundance that you've made available to each and every one of us. And so, Father, bless this time as we share together. And Father, we give you the praise, the honor, and the glory because you're worthy of it in Jesus' name. seated, praise the Lord. Guess I'll preach to this side of the room tonight. Praise the Lord. Well, we're in the midst of our series, series um, Grace, the Power of the Gospel, and grace and gospel are synonymous with one another. You can't truly have the gospel without grace. The true message is grace, the gospel of grace. And so we've been talking about that, and, and it's so important that we get a hold of an understanding of grace and how we appropriate it by, appropriate it by faith. I think, you know, um, at least to me, that becomes more relevant and clear all the time, how it truly is the grace of God and that we do receive it by faith. And so tonight we're going to talk about God's free gift because it's not about what we've done. It's about what Jesus has already done for us, what he accomplished for us. And so um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn them over to Romans, the fifth chapter. And uh, we're going to look at the eighth and ninth verse, first of all. But as it says in, our, in, in context, um, Paul begins to um, begins to draw some comparisons. And so let's just uh, go ahead and read this and uh, see where we go from there. But in Romans, the fifth chapter, in the eighth verse, but God demonstrated his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners just think about that while we, while we were still sinners not after we got cleaned up not after we um, made our lives right while we were still sinners Christ died for us just think about that I mean, I don't know if we oftentimes really just think about that. That while we were, were sinners, when you and I, when we were in our worst possible state, Jesus died for us in that condition. Much more than having been justified by his blood. And so... While we were yet sinners, 
Christ died for us. Much more than having been justified by his blood, we'll be, we will be saved from <clears throat> we will be saved from wrath through him. You know, I don't know about you. You know, but when I was when I was first saved, I spent a lot of my time in fear. And uh, that carried on much after that because, you know, I was basically told and taught that you just never know about God. And that if you messed up and if you didn't get your sins confessed before you died, you were going to experience the wrath of God. Isn't it interesting, while we were sinners, Christ died for us because he loved us. And so if you listen to a lot of religion, what a lot of religion implies is that God loved us more when we were sinners than he does now after we've been justified, after we've been spiritually cleaned up. I mean, when you, when you begin to think about some of the lies and deception that religion tries to bring in our lives. I mean, if we just, if we just think about it in, in a natural sense, you know, how uh, we love our children. But you know, God loved us while we were sinners. But now, we're his sons and his daughters. We're his children. And then to, to think that he, he doesn't love us in the same way that he did, it's, it, it's amazing to me that, well, religion can be pretty convincing. You know, it's kind of like going to the doctor. <laughs> you ever notice this when you go to the doctor, when they say something? I mean, it's like, it's how it is. It's very convincing because they speak with authority. Now, I'm not taking doctors down. Don't, don't misunderstand me. I'm not taking doctors down. But I'm just saying when they speak, it carries authority. You know, because after all, they've, they've got the training. They're, they're, they're practicing medicine and so forth. And you see, religion oftentimes has that same effect upon us because it's spoken with, with such authority. You know, the fear that came against me when I got born again because it went against what I'd been religiously taught. You know, the fear of, you know, <clears throat> not having my children baptized as infants because, you know, we were taught you were saved through baptism, that if your infant wasn't baptized, you know, um, they were lost. And what a lie. What a lie that would come against us and produce such fear in people's lives. You know, the thing about it is, see, fear is a tremendous motivator. You know, and I think a lot of times that's why, that's why preachers preach fear. 
because it's a, it's a tremendous motivator. The only problem is it'll not sustain you. Fear will never sustain you. Fear will ultimately destroy you. Now, love will sustain you. And so when we come to know the love of God, you know, that'll, that'll sustain us. That doesn't mean we don't ever mess up. That's why the Bible says it's the love of God that leads us to repentance. Repentance is turning from whatever direction that we were going. Fear may cause you to turn for a moment, but it doesn't lead to repentance because eventually you'll turn right back to where you were going. But if, if, you, if we come to understand the love of God, that leads to repentance. That'll turn us from the direction that we're going and it'll, it'll produce life and it'll tr- produce life abundantly. <clears throat> what I want us to see tonight, and we're talking about God's free gift, which is grace. Grace not only saved us, but it's the grace of God that sustains us. You know, you hear a lot of people talk, they'd take Ephesians, the second chapter, for by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works, so any man should boast. And they would say that's for, for salvation. But it's that same principle that's going to sustain us. You know, <clears throat> who was I listening to? Um, don't remember. But anyway, this individual, uh, it, it, was, it was just this morning. You know? <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> but, you know, uh, the, the, the statement that was made was that oftentimes the reason that we have such a difficult time. We, we can get saved so easily, but we have a difficulty receiving healing and the other manifestations of God because we see that grace, we're, we're convinced that salvation, return, receiving eternal life, is totally dependent upon Him. But see, we don't see everything else in the same light. We see, well, <clears throat> I'm probably doing something to block my healing. Or, you know, I haven't been as uh, faithful with my money that I ought to have been, so God, God can't bless me, so prosperity can't come into my life. And, you know, in my past, I haven't lived a righteous life, and so the bondage that I'm experienced in my life is a result of that. But what we don't realize is the same grace that saved us is the same grace that sustains us or empowers us to experience healing, prosperity, deliverance, all those things. And you know, we can, <clears throat> we can religiously say, I know that. But do we really know that? Are we really convinced of that? Because so easily we, 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 we fall back into that performance-based relationship rather than a grace-based relationship. We think what we receive from God is dependent upon my performance rather than realizing it's simply because God loves me. 
And when we come to that conclusion, I believe that for us to receive our healing, for us to receive prosperity, deliverance, whatever it may be that we have need of in our life, we ought to be able to receive that as, as easily as we receive salvation. You know, even, even the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the manifestation of tongues for years. We were taught that we had to tarry for that. We had to wait on that. We had to get an understanding of that. We had to learn about that. We had to grow into that. But isn't it interesting in the Bible, there were individuals that received the baptism of the Holy Spirit simultaneously with receiving salvation. Why is it that they were able to do that? Is because they realized it wasn't anything on their part that earned it or deserved it. It was all the works of Jesus. And that's what I want us to see tonight, that it's, that it's all by grace, not, not just a portion of it. Everything that we get from God is by grace. Don't lose your place in, in Romans because we're going to come back there. But let me read from Galatians, the fifth chapter, and the sixth verse. And it says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but faith working through love. How does faith work? Faith works through love. But I think oftentimes we look at it and we think, faith works through love as I come to love. No, you can't love until you know that God first loves you. And so faith works through love when we realize how much God truly, how much he really loves us. That's how faith works through love. My faith works as I know that God loves me in unconditionally and it isn't dependent upon my performance. So just because I messed up yesterday, that doesn't mean that God still doesn't have healing available to me today because it isn't about my performance. It's what Jesus has already purchased, what Jesus has already accomplished for me. Now, I'm not giving us a license <clears throat> to live rotten. But what I'm saying is, it's not based on performance, his blessings in our life. It's faith. It's an interesting thing. It, 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 it kind of goes hand in hand because if I truly believe God and believe that he is who he says that he is, then I'm going to live for him. And that means my, my life is going to line up with that. that. That doesn't mean every moment of every day because I'm still in this flesh body. still have to deal with this flesh. But my life as a whole is going to be channeled in the direction of following after, after God. Why? Because he loves me. You know, uh, remember one time, this years back, I heard a preacher, and uh, it wasn't because she was a woman, but it was a woman that was preaching, and she made this statement. She said, and it says this in 1 John, it says, Perfect love casts out fear. And so, in her message, what she is saying, so if you have fear in your life, the answer to fear is that you go out and you begin to love somebody. 
And so if you begin to love somebody, then fear has to get out of the way. You go out and you, you show love to somebody and fear gets out of the way. Well, <clears throat> no, the, the context of that is talking about the love of God. The love of God casts out all fear. When I know the love of God in my life, fear has no place in me. You know, I, I, can, I can say this without reservation. Anytime that fear has gripped me and began to dominate my life, my mind has not been stayed on God. It's been focused on the circumstances. But the moment that I get my mind off of that and get my mind back on the love of God, how much God loves me, that's where the peace comes in. And that's where, where fear then has to get out of the way. But I, I just think this is such a, a key verse from the standpoint of us realizing that our faith works effectively when we know how much God loves us. You know what the great, one of the greatest needs in the churches today? For us to know that God loves us. I mean, that ought to be settled, but it's, but it's not. We need to know how much God truly loves us. I mean, it's, it's, it, it's true in the natural sense. When somebody knows that they're loved, it, it, it changes them. And that's what happens when we know that God loves us. It brings about a change in our life. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, or in Christ Jesus, our performance means absolutely nothing. It's faith works when we know the love of God, when it's manifested in our lives. Now let's go back to Romans 5, in the 10th verse, and it says, for if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of, death of his son. We, <clears throat> you know, we, we oftentimes don't want to think of it this way, but we were enemies of God. We were, we were on the other side. We were on the side of evil. God's on the side of good. And so we were, we were enemies of God. And so it says, if, for, if when we were enemies of God, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, much more, having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. Again, Paul's using comparison here. Remember when we, <clears throat> we, we went through the book of Galatians a while back. You know, we talked about how Paul always used um, debate, tactics and strategy when he was teaching, that he would, he would, he would bring out a point and he would, he would catch people in that point and then he'd bring out the truth and, and he'd have them nod their head and so they'd have to agree with him. And that's basically what he's doing here. He's, he's bringing this strategy, he's bringing this comparison. And, you know, everybody can agree that before they were born again, they were, they were enemies of God. But now he's saying, if, if we agree with that, then now we have to agree, having been reconciled, we shall live by his life. Not by our life, but by his life, by what he's 
done, what he's worked in our life. And so again, it's not a, it's not a performance-based relationship that we have with God. You know, I think oftentimes where we, 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 we grew up believing that, you know, whether we were going to be loved or whether we we're going to be accepted, it was all dependent upon our performance. If we were good, if we were bad, whatever. You know, and you, you hear it all the time. You know, people say, well, <clears throat> it, starts, it starts so young. I heard people say, well, she or he's just such a good baby. Well, it's, they're saying it's dependent upon their performance. They're saying if the baby cries a lot, then it's not a good baby. If, they, the, if the baby goes to sleep when it's supposed to go to sleep and doesn't bother me when I'm trying to watch a football game, then that's a good baby. But if it's crying during that time, it's a bad baby. Well, let me clue you in on something. There is no such thing as a bad baby. Babies are good. And babies are to be loved, not dependent upon their performance. I don't know if you watched the State of the Union address, but I think one of the most beautiful things through that entire um, address was when that young man and woman stood up with that baby. It was a crack baby or a drug baby of some kind. And the mother was, you know, about to die and, and he and his wife chose to adopt that little baby. You know what? That baby did absolutely nothing to deserve their love. Nothing. Absolutely nothing. But they loved that baby unconditionally. And I know that because I saw the way they looked at that baby during that thing. I mean, that's... And so from the very beginning, we get fed this performance relational concept that if we, if we measure up, then we're going to be loved. If we don't measure up, then we're not loved. But see, that's not how God set it up to be. He set it up that we're, we're, we're loved by Him unconditionally. We're to love one another unconditionally. It isn't based on performance. It's based on the love of God working in each of our hearts. And that's what God does perfectly. He loves us unconditionally. That's why while we were yet sinners, Christ died for you and I. How was he able to do that? Because he loved us unconditionally. Because it wasn't based, if it would have been performance-based, he'd have never died for us. We'd still be lost in hopelessness. We'd be lost in sin because none of us performed well enough. But it wasn't based on that. It was based completely upon his love for each and every one of us. Um, Colossians, we're going to come back to Romans again, but in Colossians chapter 2, verse 6, As you therefore have received Christ Jesus, How'd you receive Christ Jesus? 
I'll answer it for you. By faith, through grace. It wasn't what you did. It was what Christ did for you. Amen? And so it, it was grace. Now notice what he says here. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. What does that mean? How do we walk in him? By faith, through grace. Doesn't change. It's the same. We walk by faith through grace. Faith is our part. Grace is God's part. God has already done his part. His part is already complete. And so what we do by faith, and notice our, our faith is not going to function properly if we don't know the love of God. If we don't know the love of God, we're, we're going to think he's holding out on us or there's something that we need to do. But it's not performance-based. It's, it's what Jesus has already done for us. And so by faith, we receive what Jesus has done. But faith is dependent upon knowing what God has done for us. And so it's all by grace. Amen. And so what in the, what in the world are we here for? Why even waste our time to go to church? Why waste our time studying the Word? Why, why waste our time doing that? Because it's all by grace. And so I just have to receive the grace of God. But how do we receive it? By faith. And so we've got to know what grace has provided for us. If I don't know that healing is available to me, I'll never appropriate it or receive it into my life. How do I do that? By faith. I say, Father, I thank you that you've provided healing by your grace. It belongs to me because Jesus paid the price for me, so I, I receive it by faith. How, are, how did we receive him? By faith through grace. How do we walk? By faith through grace. You know what? <clears throat> Salvation had been provided for me in my entire life. Went to church since I was a, a little one. Had to sit in the front row because my mom played the organ in our little church. So I was there all the time. You know, even after we got married, we were very religious. We were there just about every Sunday. I remember somebody talking to me one time how fanatical we were because we received communion every month. It's because we were in church. But you know, it wasn't until I was 24 years old that I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. The grace was available to me that entire time, but it wasn't until then that I heard how God loved, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That it was for by grace that I receive it. For by faith I receive the grace of God into my life. And so I received Jesus at my Lord and as my Lord and Savior. But the price had been paid all those 24 years that I'd lived. In fact, it was taken care of 2,000 years before that. Almost. I know I've been around a little while, but uh, not that long. But see, it's, it's the grace of God. You see what I'm wanting to get through to you tonight? Is that it's the grace of God. The grace of God didn't end 
when I received Jesus into my life and I received eternal life. The grace of God is still available and still operating in my life to this very day. Now going back to Romans again. Romans, the fifth chapter. And the twelfth verse. Therefore, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world. And of course, we know that he's talking here about Adam, the first Adam, in the garden. And God had spoken to Adam and said, don't, don't eat, you can eat of any of the trees of the garden, it's all yours, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden, don't eat of it, because the day that you eat of it, you're going to die. And so it says, therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin. Death through sin. The wages, the consequence of sin is death. One way or another, it'll, it'll produce death. And so in the natural realm, you know, we know that Adam didn't die immediately after he ate of the tree. He lived some 400-some years after that. But death began to work in his life, and that sin eventually produced death. Do you realize that we were never created to die? And some of us, we think, man, I don't know if I'd want to live forever. If there wasn't sin, you would. See, the hell of hell is sin. People talk about hell on earth. The hell on earth is uh, the result, the consequence of sin. If there had never been sin, there would have never been death. And if there had never been death, it would have been heaven on earth because there wouldn't have been any sin. But sin, it says, therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men because all sinned. Now, all men <clears throat> didn't become sinners because they sinned. They became sinners because of the sin of one man, Adam. The consequence of that was that we became sinners. And then as sinners, we did what sinners do. Sin. We look at the world and we wonder, why does the world act the way that it does? Because they're a bunch of sinners. <laughs> and that's what sinners do. And what's at work in their life is death because sin is at work within them. You know, we're... And no, nobody can convince me that it's not at work in the earth because... There's stuff that people are doing that people in their right mind would never do to one another. But it's a consequence of sin. It's, it's death working in the earth. In 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, the 45th verse, it says, And so it is written, The first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life-giving spirit. 
And Jesus is referred to as the second Adam. And so that's why it says here up there in, in the 12th verse, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus sin spread, or death spread to all men, because all sinned. Then we go on in the 13th verse. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. In other words, you, you can't be condemned if there's no law. What the law did, it came and condemned man in their sin, revealing to them that there needed to be a change because life or death was rampant. Death was bringing destruction. Before the law came, man tried to get right by performance. Well, even with the law, man tried to get right with performance and they, they couldn't they couldn't do it because it isn't, a, it isn't a physical issue. It's a spiritual issue. When you were born again, what was born again? It was your spirit. You became a brand new man in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. All things became new. Where? In your spirit. I don't know about you. The morning after I got born again, I woke up, same flesh, same desires, my flesh and my, my soul still wanted to do what it had always done, but my spirit was brand new because of the work of Christ Jesus. And as we continue in that, as we walk in that, as we renew our minds according to the Word of God, and we begin to realize what grace is truly provided for us because that's part of the renewing process for us to, to, to see and believe what Jesus has truly done for us so that we, we walk in it. You see, we walk in life, we walk in the Spirit, we walk in the fullness of what Jesus has done for us. It's no longer about me. It's no longer about performance. It's about receiving what Jesus has done for me. And it sounds extremely selfish. But you know, as I receive it for myself, then I have something to give. You know, it's, it's, it's selfish not to be healthy. Because if, if you're not healthy, you don't feel good. If you're not healthy, you can't, you can't reach out to others and touch their lives. It's not, it's not right, it's selfish to live with just enough. Because the gospel is to go into all the world. And so, for me to receive God's grace for prosperity in my life, that is not selfish, as long as I use it the way that he intends for it to be used. A portion for me and the rest to spread the gospel, that the good news can go into all the world. And so, to be selfish is to, be, is to refuse to acknowledge what Jesus has truly done for us, and we settle. We settle. Rather than being a blessing to others. In our notes, we've got Ephesians, the second chapter, 
verses 8 and 9. We've quoted it several times, but let's read it. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And so you and I, we have, we have nothing to boast about because Jesus has done it all. It's a gift. If it's a, if it's a gift, you can't do anything to, to earn it or to deserve it. If you've earned it, then it's no longer a gift. It's a reward. And so it's a gift. We've done nothing to earn it or deserve it. It's a gift. Every one of his blessings are a gift in our lives. If I'm healed because I've done this, that, and the other thing, and I've earned it, that's no longer a gift. I've earned salvation then. I've earned healing at that point. But it's not about earning it. It's about recognizing the love of God, what Jesus provided for me, and for me to be totally convinced that he is withholding no good thing from me. You know, because if, if I believe that, that God will heal somebody else, but he won't heal me, then I'm believing that he's withholding something from me. And if it's because I haven't lived as righteous as that other person has lived, well, then it's performance-based. You know, it's interesting. <clears throat> you can take somebody off the street, and I think oftentimes... If you ask them if you can pray for them, they'll just receive it like that because they know that they've done nothing to deserve it. But when you can tell them that it's the grace of God, it's not something that they've deserved, they're, they're willing and ready to receive. I mean, we see the same thing with salvation. You know, you take a person that's, been, that, that's, that's grown up in church, but yet they have a hard time accepting their salvation. If you talk with them, what you'll find out is that they're performance-based. You know, when I was in evangelism explosion down in Ankeny, we had the two questions. When we would, when we would witness to somebody, you always asked them um, these two questions. It was a, uh, um, an outline that you would follow. And the first question was, <clears throat> if you were to die tonight, are you confident that you would spend eternity in heaven. And most people would say, uh, well, I, I sure hope I do. You know, and you'd say, but you're not sure. And they say, well, you know, I hope. I... And so then you'd ask them the second question. The second question was, if you were to stand before God and God would say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would your answer be? And most religious people would say, well, because of Jesus, because they've heard that, because of Jesus, and, and I've lived a pretty good life. I've tried to be good. I've, I've done my best. You know what that is? That's performance. And so they're saying, yeah, I know what, what Jesus did, but obviously what Jesus did for me wasn't enough, but I, I think I've done enough to make it. 
But no, that's, that's, that's not what it's talking about. It's saying it's all about Jesus. It's what he's done for us. And so in salvation, those of us in this room, we've come to the realization that my salvation is completely because of the blood of Jesus. It's the grace of God. And by faith, I received what Jesus has done for me. It's not based on what I do, what I've done, or what I'm going to do. It's based on what Jesus has done for me. But then you say, well, what about healing? Well, you know, I'm trying. What happened? We flipped right over to performance. And it's not performance. It's what Jesus has done for us. Let's look in Romans again. In the fifth chapter. And uh, 14th verse. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those who had not sinned according to the likeness of the transgression of Adam, who was a type of him who was to come. But the free gift. Everybody say, but the free gift. But the free gift was not like the offense. For if one man's offense For if by one man's offense many died, much more, not just more, much more, much more the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned. For the judgment that came from the one offense resulted in condemnation, but the free gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. And so, really what this is saying is, we have no problem believing that because of the offense of one man, Adam, Sin gripped the world and humanity. And because of that one man's sin, it had such power that it touches the life of every man, woman, and child that is born, that they're born a sinner. But then we turn it around. And we, in a sense, say, we don't believe that Jesus has that same power. Because it's difficult for us to acknowledge and receive that his grace, his one act of grace, dying on that cross, was sufficient to pay the price for all of our sins when it has been. And so we need to recognize and acknowledge what Jesus has done for us. Righteousness, right standing with God, being declared righteous in his sight comes through faith. Faith in what? Faith in believing that Jesus, what he did, was more than enough. It says here that it was much more. So much more the grace of God was sufficient for all humanity. Verse 17 
Did I read that already? I will read it again. For if by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive the abundance of grace. So there's an abundance of grace. And the gift of righteousness. And again, we don't earn our righteousness. It's a gift. Will reign in life through the one, Jesus Christ. And so in life, we're not to be defeated. It says that we're to, to reign. We're to live the abundant life. We're to live the prosperous life. Therefore, as through one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. The free gift. We're in right standing because of one man's act. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Because of Jesus, because of his one act, we were made righteous. That's why we're able to declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ. Again, the law just simply revealed to us that we're incapable of attaining righteousness on our own. But Jesus, in his one act, his death on the cross, his death, burial, and resurrection, he purchased for all humanity that abundant life. Verse 20, moreover, the law entered that the, the offense may abound. But where sin abounds, grace abound much more. You know, isn't it interesting? Law didn't really stop anything. It actually increased. Isn't it interesting, all the laws that we pass, they don't seem to solve the problem. You know, I think over the years, I mean, just, just think how, you know, I, I graduated from high school in 1966. Whoa. And I, I can just remember, there were some some guys visiting that summer from California and uh, they were talking about this this weed that they would smoke and uh, and they inhaled and uh, but anyway they, they were telling us how they could could make it available to us and you know I, I, I never never did. I've, you know, I, people tell me I've smelled it when I've come into certain situations, and, but I, I don't know. I assume that that was what it was. But that was, that was 1966. 
And I remember a few years later going back to my high school and, um, you know, our drug of choice when I was in school was alcohol. But now they were, they were starting to get marijuana. They were starting to get some harder drugs than that. Now, I know for most of you, you think that's a really long time ago. But in the whole scheme of things, that's not that long ago. And in the process of times, we've, we've passed all kinds of laws to outlaw all forms of, of drugs and all sorts of things. And I don't know if you've noticed it or not, it's really not worked. Now, I'm not, I'm not talking about legalizing stuff. I'm, I'm just saying it, it doesn't seem to work. You know, even where they legalized it, thinking it was going to solve their problems. I've been to Oregon. It hasn't solved anything out there. Let me tell you that right now. Remember, pulling out of Walmart, and there's a guy there, and he's holding the sign. And the sign said, need weed. And I was shocked at the number of people that were stopping by to give him cash. You know, because they identified with him, I guess. What I'm saying is it doesn't, it doesn't work. You know what it requires? It requires a change of heart. You can pass laws on adultery, it doesn't work. Change your heart. You can pass laws about stealing, it doesn't work. Change your heart. You can cover law, put out laws dealing with anything. It doesn't work in the long haul because it requires a change of heart. Because when our hearts change, that which is on the inside begins to, work, begins to work to the outside. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. You know what that says to me? It says it doesn't matter how big the hold may appear to be on somebody's life, how big it might be, the grace of God is bigger. It's the grace of God that will set them free. So that, <clears throat> but where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. So that as sin reigns in death, even so grace might reign through righteousness to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. You know, <clears throat> I know that sin reigns. It rules in a lot of people's lives. But when grace is released in their life, grace will set them free. And that grace when it begins to rule and reign in our lives. Listen to this. So that as sin reigned in death, even so grace might reign. What sits on our, our throne? Now, now, grace and Jesus are synonymous with one another. So I'm not being blasphemous here. When I say that grace ought to be on our throne because that's Jesus. But when he reigns, he reigns in righteousness, which leads to life eternal through Jesus Christ, life abundant through Jesus Christ. But let me tell you, when sin reigns in our life, it dominates. 
You know, <clears throat> what was it that Dr. Cole said, sin always promises to satisfy and reward? That's Schroeder's paraphrase, but it always leads to death and destruction. It always appears good, it looks good, but it leads to destruction. I think most people, you know, I, like I said, growing up in the, in the 60s, it was alcohol. I saw the effect that it had upon uh, my aunts, my uncles, the cousins that I grew up with. Many of them died prematurely or have suffered greatly with illnesses. One of my, my closest cousins, when I, was, when I was a kid, I saw him at my aunt's funeral and, and the guy's body is just deteriorating. And of course, he's been in the wa on the wagon for 20 years, but that wasn't enough because he did all the damage before that. You know, I was at home two summers ago for my 50th class reunion. And uh, I, here, here, here's, here's my buddies. There were, there were three of us. We just, well, four of us. We just did everything together. And... Uh, you know, I lost touch with him because of, you know, my life went in a different direction, especially after I received Jesus as my Lord and Savior. But here's Clayton, one of my best friends. When we were in high school, talk about a good-looking guy. I mean, had the cars, had everything. His wife is leading him around because he's fried too many cells in his skull, mostly with drugs. I mean, it's just had to lead him around. My age. Pat, my, my best friend, his, his dad, growing up, his dad was an alcoholic. And I remember staying in his house, and when his dad would come home, we'd go hide out in the cornfield because we weren't sure what kind of a mood he was going to be in. Remember the night we were there, and he got wild, and his older brothers had to sit on top of him and hold him down so he didn't beat his mother. I remember laying in that cornfield and Pat saying, I will never drink. I will never be an alcoholic. My life will not follow this. Well, Pat was religious. He just wasn't a Christian. So guess which direction his life went? He's an alcoholic. And so when I was home at graduating, I found out that he had died cancer. Red, the other one that ran, Russell. And uh, his family was drinking, and he drank. The last years of his life he spent in an institution in Sioux Falls. Just a year prior to that, he had died. You know, I, I taught him being thankful on Sunday. I have so much to be thankful for because, but for the grace of God, that would have been me. Any one of those three. But that's what the grace of God will do in our lives when we allow Him to rule and reign. He will not lead us to death and destruction. He will always lead us to life abundant. And it's available to each and every one of us, not based 
You know, again, the moment that comes out, I know it's going through people's thoughts. They say, you're, you're thinking, but pastor, you don't know what I've done. I don't care what you've done. It's not based on performance. It's based on the love of God that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for each and every one of us. And through his grace, he's made available to us his life that we receive and appropriate in our lives by faith. Saw Jesus. Hallelujah. Well, praise God. I don't know about you. I preach myself happy. I'm ready to go home cheering. Thank God for his goodness in each of our lives. So be blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.